Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for life. We thank you that he was the perfect lamb. Lord, we recognize that one day we will see him. We will see you. We will be with you. And we will, we will sing worthy, worthy as the lamb that was slain for us, worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of our lives. And so this morning, as we open up your word, as we read it, Lord, we believe that it's true. And Lord, I pray for, for all here, God, that you would, you would give ears to hear. Lord, a word from you today, and Lord, I pray you'd anoint my lips. And use my life, use me in this moment for your good purposes. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you will, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark 9. Um, that's where we'll be this morning, Mark 9, um, 14 through 29. Mark 9, 14 through 29. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you that you can pull out and uh, use or take with you today. It'll also be on the screens for you to follow um, this morning, the sermon's titled, God's Glory is Our Strength. Um, <clears throat> a few weeks ago, we preached on the transfiguration of Jesus, and that was the, the preceding text of this, and the title of the sermon was, God, God's Glory is Our Peace, and today we'll see that God's, God's glory is our strength. So, <clears throat> before we read the text, just, just so we're, we're clear on something, now, there's something true about you and I in this room that is in many ways universally true. One is that we can promise all kinds of things, and just because we promise them doesn't mean that they will come to be. You with me, right? We can promise all kinds of things just because it's like the guy in college who came into my dorm room and said, hey, do you know how to cut hair? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can cut hair. I've, I've done that before. And so I proceeded to cut his hair. And at the end, he found out that I had told a lie, right? That I did not know how to cut hair. And he ended up looking like me at the end of it because he just went for it, right? And so um, you could come up to me today and say, hey, Pastor Ryan, my car's broke down in the parking lot. Can you fix it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's give it a go. I promise you, I don't know what I'm talking about nor what I'm doing. And you'll probably just have pieces all over the ground when we're done and someone like John will have to come help us put it all back together, right? I mean, we can make all kinds of promises, and we do, and sometimes with good intention to come through, and at times we don't. But, but I just want us to, to, to recognize one thing before we get going today, is God is a God who does not operate that way, and when God makes a promise, they always come true. When we put our faith and we put our trust in him, what he has said will always come to be. His very nature is truth, and because his very nature is truth, he can always be trusted. And so we don't look to the left or to the right or to this person or that person to be embodiment of truth or be the embodiment of truth keeping. We look to the God of the universe who has from the beginning of time and will till the end of time keep his promises. And see, underneath this, the very... The very underworkings in the New Testament, over 150 times, it is said that, that it is by faith we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what faith is, is saying, I believe 
that what you have said is true, and I believe that you will keep your promises, and now I will trust in you with all that I am. And so it is by faith that all things work. In the text we're going to be in today, the, the issues that, that, that we're going to deal with, it's really faith issues across the board. We're going to see faith issues with the disciples. We're going to see a man who recognizes his own faith issues with the healing of his son. And we're going to see the one who has perfect faith, who always keeps his promises, and one who always comes through. And he'll, he, he will again come through. So let's read Mark 9, 14 through 29, and then we'll <clears throat> look at it verse by verse here in a minute. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. Imagine this moment. They've come down. God, God uh, Jesus is, is standing there with Moses and Elijah. And, and the, the three disciples are with him. They've had this incredible moment. And they come down and what's happening? The disciples are arguing. I could illustrate this so many ways with my own children, right? Like there's just, like it's so good. And then, okay, here we go. All right. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And wherever, <clears throat> whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. Now, don't miss the point of this. This father was in agony for his son. From childhood, and if you've ever dealt with just something that is very painful for long seasons of life, this is the Father. Don't read it just for face value on the page. There's, there's this deep longing in this Father that they've been struggling for a, a great time. 22, and it has often cast him in the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The passage this morning, three things that we'll pull out. And there's a lot in this text this morning. And there's a lot of deep questions, I think, that we have about faith and about life that are in this text. We're going to talk about some of them, maybe not all of them, but there's a lot in this text. The first thing that we see and that is clear in the text is evil is real. And so if you're filling in the blanks with us today, evil is real. And we see that in 14 through 18. Look at it again. It says, and when they came to the 
When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So there's this kind of argument ensuing. There's, there's this tension. Immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Now this is this moment where Jesus, again, he enters the scene. Everybody has kind of heard stories about Jesus. They rush up to him. And, and as they, they're rushing up to him, um, the, Jesus asks this question. What are you arguing about with them? So he's asking the disciples this question. So he's walked up to the disciples. The crowds gather around Jesus, and he asks the question, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him. So someone who he wasn't actually asking the question to answers a quest, answers, answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, just so we're clear, um, the issue here wasn't, Jesus has just entered the scene, and so the man had brought, had brought his son to the disciples. And so the disciples at this point have been trying to cast out this demon out of this, but it's incapable. Now, they'd already done this a few chapters back. They had gone out. Jesus had commissioned them to do ministry. They'd cast out demons. They'd done great works in his name, and now nothing. No effect, no work. The disciples aren't achieving what they had once achieved. And so this man says, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless. Now, this is this moment, we're, we're going to get into this here in a second, but he says, oh, faithless. And this is this moment of Jesus, of oh is a word that is not used. It is a, like this deep groaning inside of Jesus, like, oh, come on. And so kind of in this 14 through 18, before we get into 19, there's some things that we, we know are true. One, evil is real, and there are genu- there's genuine forces against us in this world. Now, evil kind of in an like a nutshell of what evil is and what is the origins of evil. We see in Isaiah 14, kind of evil enter the scene of humanity the first time. It's before the creation of the world. It's before anything had happened. It's in the heavens with Jesus and the angels. And within the heavens with Jesus and the angels in Isaiah 14, there's this moment where Satan rises up and basically this is my summarize of what he says. I desire to be worshipped above God. I want praise. I want honor. I want glory. And what happened is God said, no one receives glory above me, and he cast him out of heaven. See, evil is anything that contradicts the nature of God. Evil is anything that is pridefully seeking exaltation above the Father. Evil is anything that assaults supremacy of God. And so there's genuine forces against us. And, and Satan is at war with the very image of God. That's why we'll see in this text, and we'll talk about it in a moment, that, that whenever Satan, whenever we see demonic possession, and we see this all around our culture, and I think many times we try to push it away from explaining it as it is. But what we see every time is self-assault, self-assault, self-assault. This boy throwing himself into the flames, throwing himself from the water. It's self-assault. It's self-mutilation. And see, Satan is at war with the image of God. And we see this in our world, and we see it sometimes aggressively. We see it aggressively in, in possessions, 
and harm and self-harm. And we see that this way in scripture. But I, I believe that we also see this real evil around us subtly. It's through lies that we believe. Lies that we believe that we have to be higher and greater than others. Lies that we believe that turn us to not putting God as the primary, but exalting ourselves higher than him. There's these subtle things of evil in our life, and the real of it is that oftentimes we, instead of, as Colossians would say, set your heart, set your mind on things above, what we set our minds on is the past. And we begin to believe lies about how God isn't able because my past is so great. Because the wrongs that I did are far beyond what God can handle or take. And we begin to meditate on those. Maybe it's people that have harmed us or situations that we've had. And we think so much about our past that our past and our struggles and the evil things of this world overwhelm us to where we don't think on the Holy One, the one who is able, the one who can take care of us and be with us. See, evil is real, and it is constantly pressing in on our lives. And church, just hear me this morning when I say this. Evil is real, and you don't have to discount it. It is a real thing that is pressing in on our lives. And it is constant, and we do not live in too, we do live in too intellectual of an age where we just tend to discount everything and try to logically move it outwards. And I'm just telling you, and you know it, and I know it, there is evil pressing in on us in this world. And we live in a day and an age where evil is real, and it is all around us. And we must recognize evil as it is, is it is evil. And so, again, there are real forces against us in this world. And the, the man in this text did the right thing. He went to Jesus when the press was on. He, he went to Jesus to get healing for his son. But see, the disciples, and we're going to get into this in a minute, they went at it alone. And see, the reason they couldn't heal, and Jesus will say it at the end of this text, see, this was a matter of prayer. Just so you know, our prayers don't do anything. Our prayers are a request to God, and if anything happens, it's because God acted, not because you and I prayed. Are you with me? So prayer isn't this magical thing that heals people. Prayer isn't this magic. God is the one who chooses to heal. And so if you ever have said, our prayers did such and such, that's garbage. Your prayers didn't do anything. God did it. Now, my prayer was a request. My prayer was an acquisition toward God. And God said, I'm in or I'm not in. But God is the one who heals. God is the one who restores. Because if it's my prayers that heal someone, praise be to Ryan. Praise be to Mike. Praise be to John. Praise be to whoever's praying. But, but when we pray and we request to God and he acts, what do we say? Praise be to God, right? He is the one who has moved. He is the one who did this. And what, what the disciples made the mistake of dealing with evil is they went at it alone. And you can't deal with evil. I can't deal with evil on my own because I am incapable of dealing with evil because even in my very fabric, until I see Jesus face to face, there is a nature inside of me that has always been toward dishonoring and not loving and not caring and moving to the wrong things. 
and he is ridding me and he's redeeming me and he's renewing me. See this in a minute. This text is so together. I just want to preach like the whole thing at once right here. So we're going to in like 30 minutes. And so, so in this, the, the disciples, right, they, they, went to Je- they, they went at it alone. This man went to Jesus. See, the father, he thought, he thought that they could, could, could heal him. The disciples could heal him, right, because they had been with Jesus. And see, they made a mistake, and sometimes in the church, just so you know, if you're known as a Christian, if you're known as someone who walks with God, somebody might come to you with a problem, and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I got this. And you can go at it alone, and there's no, Ill, there's no effect, there's no change in their life because you're going at it alone. And that was the issue of the disciples at this point. Now, now we can kind of beat up on them in the Gospels, but what we'll see is they'll really get this when Jesus rises from the dead. And what they will is they'll go at life trusting in the full in full faith in God, and they will do miraculous things that the eye has never seen on this earth because Jesus was indwelling them, living in them, and through them. See, they stopped going at it alone. And so for us, see, evil is real, and we are not capable of defeating it. But, but as a rhythm, as a practice of your life, do you go to Jesus or do you go at it alone? Let's say it again. Do do you personally, do you take it to Jesus when these things face, or do you, do you go at it alone? I can tell you about a hundred things I've went out at alone in my life, and I can tell you about a hundred ways it's been really painful realizing that I can't go at it alone, I got to take it to Jesus. I can tell you about how I come to the end of my rope and come to my knees, and then when I go to my knees, it all changes. Anybody with me on this? So we, we've got to take it to Jesus, and maybe, maybe if we just like all collectively remind each other as a community to do this more, what we'll do is relieve each other from some of the pain and sufferings that it causes in our lives when we go at it alone. Second thing we see in the passage, 19 through 24, is that we are needy. So evil is real, and we are needy. Verse 19 and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me this moment of Jesus just saying, Ah, disciples, <laughs> how many times do we have to go back at this? And it, and it is a genuine groaning inside of Jesus. This O oh, is an uncommon word that is recorded in the scriptures about Jesus saying this is this moment of, of deep like, man, I wish... They would get on board and stop being so in flux with their faith and trust in me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And really, this kind of healing is known as the healing of the epileptic, and it has these signs. Now, I'll just say with this is that that not every case of epilepsy, right, is demonic possession. Um, we don't have any reason to believe that in Scripture. It could be, but it's not saying that every case is. And there are real health reasons that that happens in some people's lives. And sometimes you may be chosen to live an entire life praising God and honoring him through the suffering of an ailment such as that to honor him and glorify him. But in this case, we see that it is these these symptoms, much like an epileptic, of, of seizures. And so if you've seen something like that, this is kind of the picture that it makes. 
They brought the boy to him when spirit again immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, again, this pain of the father, this has been happening. It was often cast out of him, cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, and this is a statement, but if you can do anything, this isn't like, the statement of like, hey, can you do something? It's like the statement of you can do anything, Jesus. It's a statement of faith, I believe. If you can do anything, this, this comment of trust in Jesus. And so this man is, is placing trust. He says, please have compassion on us and help us. What a great thing to ask Jesus. It is the very nature of compassion and help. It is his very nature of compassion and help. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, there's an imperative in this, and I don't know if you see it, but he says, if you can. And so this man's faith, right, it's not what heals, right? It's not this, like, I can't just say, hey, my brother has cancer. Jesus, I have faith. I'm claiming it. Heal my brother. And then my brother dies, and I go, man, I didn't have enough faith. I killed my brother. Just so you know. That's like heretical, and there's churches all over the place that teach that kind of garbage, and it's not true. And when I say it, like, I don't know if you know what I believe about that, uh, if I have not been clear enough, but it's garbage. Um, It's not true. The Bible doesn't teach it anywhere. And when he's speaking of faith, he's saying, put your full confidence in me. And when you put your full confidence in me, my will will be done. And sometimes God will heal. And I've seen it. I've sat around patients in, in their deathbed, packing ice around them to get their temperature down. Family singing amazing grace because it is over. And four weeks later, he's de- delivering chips again in his truck, right? Dude came back. We were praying for healing, and it happened. And I've been in the same situation where nothing happened. I'm just telling you, it's not the people in that room that save but sometimes God chooses to, and sometimes God reveals to us that we should, we should pray for healing, that, that God says that this is going to happen through his spirit and prayer, and we pray those things, and we, we long for healing, we hope for it, but this is up to God, and it's up to him and his glory, because that is more important than anything else. So there's my little thing on that. So, so in this, 20, <clears throat> 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father and the child cried out and said, I believe. I think this is one of the greatest, most honest statements in all of Scripture. I believe. Help my unbelief. There's not a person in this room that struggles with unbelief. Not a person in this room that struggles with unbelief. Now, people in this room, they may act like they got it all together, have full confidence, have no doubts, have no questions. When they read the Bible from beginning to end, there's not some pieces of the scriptures that they go, that doesn't make any sense to me. I have a hard time believing that. There's not one person in this room, in honesty. Now, now I believe in the full authority of God's word. I believe in the full, <clears throat> like the, the big word here, I believe in the veracity of this text. I, I believe that God is always honest, that he is always true, but sometimes it all just doesn't make sense. And so this moment, this guy, he says, he goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is a song that we sing, Jesus is better. 
I mean, we sing this. We've sang it since last summer. Um, it says, make my heart believe. Make my heart believe. It says, deeper, help me believe the deeper truths. Help me apply them deeper to my life. Let them, let them be seen in every facet of my life. Because just because we say we believe something doesn't mean that we live it out, that it, that it takes full grip. So the reality is, is we are needy. And see, we can identify with, with these disciples more than we think. See, just as they perpetually get it wrong, we do too. See, we live in a day and age where we've been never, never been more equipped and never been resourced more resource for the mission of God. We've never lived in a day where there is a greater access to the nations and the great hope of Matthew 24, and this gospel will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth and the end will come. Bill Bright used to say it like this, that if, if the Christians in North America would catch a, a glimpse, catch a sniff, would, would, would hear the great commission, the world would be reached in a day and we'd all go home. Right? There, there's a reality, there's this great need in our world, but there's this unbelief in our hearts. We've, we've never been more equipped, we've never been more resourced. And see, we, we perpetually get it wrong. We, we tend to go at it alone instead of going at it with Jesus. We tend to say, I'm going to kind of do your way and my way, and if we kind of do a little bit of your way more than my way, then we'll be good in the end. And Jesus, just so you know, what God says is that, no, like, it's my way. He, like, that's, it's God's way. It's not your way or my way. He doesn't operate like that. It's, it's his way. So we, we perpetually get it wrong, as the disciples do. Evil and sin and struggle, they entangle us every day of our life. They're constantly around us. We're constantly in the weeds of evil, sin, and struggle. And just as they were, we are, we are aware of the problems. I don't think anyone in this room is not aware of the deep problems of humanity, the deep problem of sin, and the deep problems of life in general. See, we can identify with the disciples more than we think. But see, the Father, what we can learn from him is we are not enough. He says, I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief. What a fantastic moment. In the midst of his desperation, he has an honest and a transparent moment. And just so you know, I think God really values honest and transparent moments. We'll see that, that Jesus really valued this honest and transparent moment. And in this honest and transparent moment, he recognizes that, that I, I don't have it all together and I'm needy and I need your help. See, this is simple in some ways in, in regards to unbelief. There's this simple unbelief that we have in the day-to-day of our lives. We have this unbelief that God is truly all-satisfying, so we turn to other things for satisfaction. We're not truly believing that he can be all-satisfying, so we turn to all kinds of vices for satisfaction. Simply seen in our fears, that we fear that we are not enough, and so what we do is we make up lies, and we make up stories, and we, we make things a little bit better because we're, we're afraid that if people really knew who we are, we would be unacceptable to them. We control 
because we believe that we have to control things. Because if I am not in control, then everything is going to spin out of control because I genuinely don't believe that God is in control. Just so you know, control is not like this thing that just, it's just who you are. It's like an offense against God. All you type A, it's just said, ouch, right? If you can't say amen, say ouch. <clears throat> we, not only do we satisfaction, fear, control, but we live trying to prove ourselves because we, we think that if I prove myself to the person to the left or the right, that my life will somehow be better, that I'll have more value, that I'll have more meaning because we don't believe that, that who Jesus has made us to be as his children, as secure, as saved, as heirs, as people seated at his right hand, it's not enough. And so I have to prove myself in myself instead of allowing my Savior and the one who made me in his image to truly and finally be the one that I identify with and I want others to identify me as. See, and then sometimes it's, it's not just these simple things in the everyday, but it's profound. These profound things that, that, that in our life, it's, it's, it's deeper. And, and what's deeper is in our unbelief. We just simply don't believe that God is a powerful God. And we don't believe that, that he is powerful enough to deal with my situation. That he's powerful enough to step in to the ills and the struggles, the things that entangle me, and come in and heal. I mean, imagine this situation. This father desperate, his son scarred from burns. He's, he's, he's been underwater multiple times. He's uncontrollable. And the father doesn't know what to do. I can't imagine anything else in my life that would, would put me in such desperation of my child being in this state. And what this man said is, if I'm not believing enough in your power, help me to. And church, just hear this. Our God is a powerful God, and he can step into your very situation, whatever it is, how unique it is, and he can make a difference. And that's why the third thing that we'll see in this text is Jesus is able. So evil is real, we are needy, and Jesus is able. We'll finish it out, 24 through 29. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He spoke, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Again, another just moment, side note here, a moment of the authority of God, the authority of Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And when Jesus spoke, the same voice that spoke the world and the creation can cast out a demon. He spoke, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up. I love this. Jesus does this in his healings all the time. It is not just this like profound, like Jesus has a collar on, he's distant, right? He, he reaches down and he grabs that little boy and he pulls him up. There is always an intimate touch from our Savior. And in this intimate touch, he continues, he says, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose, verse 28, 
And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus is able. And what we see that he is able to do is see he, in this text, we see that he is able to defeat evil. He is able to bring healing. He is able to instruct. And he is able to save. And just say that again. He is able to defeat evil. He is able to bring healing. He is able to instruct. And he is able to save. See, Romans 4.21 says this, that being fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. What the, the whole point of this text is, and it's in every section, it's faith, 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 faith. Do you believe this morning that God is able? See, I can shout it to the rooftops because I do believe that God is able. But the question isn't in this text about me. Well, it is about me, but it's about each of us individually having a place of faith and saying that I trust you and I believe that you are able to defeat evil, to bring healing, to instruct and to save. This is not something that I can do in and of myself. This is something that only God can do. And by placing my faith in him, I can see him do immeasurably more than ever, all that I could ever think, dream, or imagine with my life. See, Jesus is calling the disciples consistently in his teachings, especially in this text. He is calling them to trust. See, the end of this is only can be done through prayer. What he's saying is only can be done by placing your faith in God. Only be done by resting their faith in Jesus, being fully convinced that God is able to perform everything he has promised. You see, church, today we are not defeated. We are not overwhelmed. Evil is real. We are needy, and Jesus is able. He is able to defeat evil. He is able to care for us, and he is able to heal and do works in and through us we've never dreamt or imagined. This morning, have you recognized your need in your life for Jesus? Have you recognized that there's this entanglement in your life called sin that cannot be remedied on your own? No man can remedy it for you. There is no amount of water that could be sprinkled on your head. There is no man that can forgive enough of your sins. There is no one that can bring forgiveness into your life except for Jesus Christ, the one who poured out his blood, whose body was broken for us on the cross. There is no one who is able to heal you of your sin, to deal with your neglect of God, to deal with your rebellion outside of him. There is no man, there is no church, there is no stained glass window, there is no cross that you can gaze at long enough. There is only one, and he is seated at the right hand of heaven. And when we kneel before him and we put our lives in contrition, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are able to take my sin because you are the only one in time and history that was crucified as the perfect lamb of God for me.